Welcome to The Bee Podcast. The mission of The Bee is to create an inspiring platform for all women of every age group to have meaningful conversations with the intent to genuinely understand each other's journey, to listen to stories similar and different than our own, engage in each other's triumphs and failures, hear and validate one another on the separate unique journeys we have traveled, the loss we have endured, the joy we have encountered, and the reason behind the lessons we have learned. Bees symbolize community, personal growth, and power. And that is what we aim to do here. Create community, foster growth, and empower women. I'm Cami Milliken, and this is The Bee Podcast. Hey, Bee Podcast listeners. Thank you so much for tuning in today. We only have a few more weeks in May, and our final episode of season two will take place on June 2nd. Um, we've had a great season, but I am going to be taking a little bit of a break to focus on my kids and family and um, just really soak in the summer with my kids. Um, we don't have a start date for season three. It's pending, but I'll definitely let you know once we resume. We're just coming off Mother's Day, and what a better tribute to mothers than this. This story has me all sorts of jazzed about how capable and just amazing women are. Today, we have the opportunity to sit down and chat with Susan Wiedrich. Now, Susan is a mother of two beautiful girls, both of whom were adopted internationally. As a single woman in her 30s, she knew she wanted to start her family, and so that's exactly what she did. She didn't wait. Now, over 20 years later, Susan shares the process of international adoption of her two daughters, Sarah and Anna, and the beautiful life that they've created. Susan, I'm so glad that you are here and you have agreed to talk with me about this wonderful uh, venture that you went on as in your 30s. Let's talk about that. But first, tell us who you are and um, your family, your career, your hobbies. Yeah, thanks, Cammie, for inviting me. Um, I have um, been a speech pathologist for over 30 years. Um, so I work in the school systems um, through the AEA in the schools with young children. Um, I was raised in Ottumwa. I left to go to college. Um, I graduated in 1984 from Ottumwa High School, left to go to college, um, and then worked for about six years in Lawrence, Kansas. And then I've been back in Ottumwa since working here. I have a lot of family in the area. My parents, I have uh, three brothers and a sister, um, and they have their grown kids and they have their grandkids. And so that's my extended family. My small family is my two daughters and a son-in-law and a grandson, a new grandson. Yes. And I, yeah, we just have to pause for a second and talk about that grandbaby because he is just perfect. He's perfect. Yes, he <laughs> That's awesome. So lots of new, exciting things going on with you yes. and, you know, yep. as grandma now. So that's really cool. Of course. It's exciting. It's great being a grandma. Yeah. I've heard, it's, I've heard it's better than parenting. I don't know. So far it is. <laughs> <laughs> that's awesome. That's so cool. Three months in. Three months in and it's couldn't be better. <laughs> yeah. Starting at the beginning, when did you know you wanted to be a mother? Well, I had, I'd always been around kids. Um, I was an aunt at 13 and I had 17 nieces and nephews and just grew up with kids, grew up with kids around. And then I went off to college, went to work. And then I, I realized about age 30 that it didn't look like marriage was going to happen soon. And I was just, I just wanted to be a mom. So um, it's about, about that age I realized I wanted to do something about trying, trying to become a mom. And I started looking into different options for that. 
So what were your options? What I discovered, what I found was like private adoptions, foster care, and international adoptions seem to be the main main way to adopt. Um, but as I as I researched things, I felt like international adoption was the best for as a single person. Because um, my goal was to get a baby as as young as possible and as quick as possible. And the other alternatives didn't look like those are the best ways for me to, for that to happen for me. Yeah. And how exciting that must have been to think about internationally adopting. What year? Probably about 96, about 1996. I started looking. Um, I know it sounds like ages ago, but um, <laughs> yeah, I just started looking on my own. I didn't tell my family at that time what I was doing. I just went to explore what was going on. And then um, the summer of it was that winter of 96, the summer of 97, I did start, start narrowing down my options. I did, I talked to my family. I decided what I was going to do. And, um, I, a job opened up in Ottumwa. I moved back to Ottumwa because I knew, um, I felt like I needed to be close to family. If this was going to be something that I was going to pursue, I did do a little research and found a couple agencies that I was interested in and, um, went and visited with them and felt like I clicked with one of them. Well, it sounds like everything kind of all meshed really well, like perfectly. Well, so far, yeah, it did. Yeah, yeah. right, right. Yeah, that's wonderful. So the agency, yeah, the agency that I picked um, was based out of Ohio. And I went to a big seminar in Chicago at that time. And they they had like, obviously lots of posters. They sent out monthly, uh, quarterly um, like magazines with like testimonial stories. You know, in the first few, I... God, I was kind of skeptical. I was like, these are just their, these are just their perfect stories. Um, and then each one that came, I was just like in tears. I was getting closer and closer to realizing this is what, this is, this is looking like it's going to be for me. And um, when I was in Chicago, they brought families in with their kids. And at that point I'm like, okay, these people, these people did it. They made it to Russia and back. They, they're normal families. The kids look, the kids look fine. I think this is all, all coming together. Well, yeah, it was tangible when you saw these people. Real- yeah. With yeah. their real children. Absolutely. Did it feel intimidating at all doing this, you know, overseas? Um, well, there's a lot of unknowns. I didn't know anybody. I didn't know anybody had done international adoption. So that part, I didn't have anybody to ask questions to, or to um, learn from. Um, I really hadn't ever traveled a lot overseas. I'd been over once, but you know, once I decided what I was going to do, I was comfortable. I, I just felt like I made my mind up, and I was I, I was going to go for it. I wasn't going to change my mind, and I had done enough research, and I, it was the right thing for me to do. So I wasn't uncomfortable with the idea of adoption. Um, yes, traveling overseas is always makes me anxious at first till I know what's going on, but. Um, yeah. But yeah. So lots of unknowns, but so much excitement and potential and just warm fuzzies and butterflies. I'm certain. Susan, what were the requirements for international adoption? Um, I had to have a home study. So I had to make sure I had a home, of course. So that was, I had to find a home in Atoma. And then the home study involves just lots of paperwork. Um, they ask about finances, medical history, um, child care, what you're planning to do for child care. That, that sort of stuff. And I started all that in September of 97 after I'd made my mind up over the summer. And I had all that paperwork done by early December. So in about three or four months, um, had it all finished. 
So then I sent all that into the agency and I got a referral back about the middle of January. So about six weeks later, I got a referral back um, of a 11 month old girl. So it was a very quick process for you then. It was a very quick process. Yeah. They had sent me a, um, a, a VHS tape. There was about 30 seconds long of her sitting at a little table with other kids and at a little like high chair type table and uh, like a two page brief summary of her medical history. So we went over that. One of the things on her medical history, um, she, had a, she had a diagnosis of perinatal encephalopathy, which is a huge medical term. And um, my dad saw that and he was like very concerned because it doesn't sound very good in American medical terms. It sounds like um, brain, brain injury in, through birth or before birth. So um, we did send the paperwork and the video to specialists who um, specialize in international adoption. And they said that term is a a term that is used frequently in Russia. And basically it just means a child's at risk for being in an orphanage. It doesn't mean the same, same things that we would think of with brain injury. So So at risk based on her being in a, in, 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 in a, being in an orphanage, okay. not really any medical issues, but just, just by being at risk by being, um, yeah, not having a, a family and living in an orphanage with other kids and in that setting. Okay. Okay. Yep. So I accepted that referral. Yeah. And that would have been super exciting. Yeah, it was fun. So I accepted that in, it was like in July. It's probably middle of February or so um, after all that uh, timing. And they sent us over to Russia at the end of March. Okay. So before you went to get your first child, did you have any trainings or paperwork workshops? The agency walks you through everything you need and they, and they, they walk you through everything you need and they have uh, people over in Russia to take care of you. And so when you get to Russia, there are people there to walk you through the whole process there. There's interpreters there, there's social workers there, and they are all, they are all hired by the adoption agency to take care of us. So then let's talk about the process of adoption. You know that you, this is the baby that you want. You have your VHS tape and everything. What did it look yeah, like? Just- yeah, it's perfect. What, what did it look like? Can you walk us through that story? We get over there, we get over to Russia, they, they match us up with other families that are going to adopt from the exact same orphanage and they're from America. So we have a connection over there. Um, and that's a, that was a really nice perk um, to have other Americans with you going through the same thing. But they were, they're just very supportive. Like there was always an interpreter with us. Um, and there was often a social worker with us because anything we did at the orphanage or anything we did in the courtroom obviously needed a social worker and a translator. And we were dependent on them. You know, we knew nothing that they said, obviously, but we trusted that they were taking care of us and they did take care of us. So we, we fl- flew into Moscow. We were only there for one week one total week to get Sarah. We flew in on a Saturday, we flew out on a Saturday. And in that whole week, we saw her for the first time. We got her visa, her passport, did her court hearing and flew out of there. So it was a whirlwind week for us. A week. Yes. Holy cow. Did you have anyone go with you? 
yeah, my parents went with me. So that was, that was fun. So we flew into Moscow, like I said, and Sarah's um, town that her orphanage was in was called Ostrakhan. And it's four hour plane ride south of Moscow and right on the Caspian Sea next to the country of Kazakhstan. And it's a pretty good sized town, about 300,000 people, probably 10 to 12 orphanages just in that one town. Um, so oh, during this wow. time period that I was, I was adopting my girls, Russia was one of the, it was like the, one of the largest international adoption areas from the United States during that little period. Cause there was like before that, there was not a healthy relationship with Russia and the United States. And now, right now there's not, but there was a time period that it was really was a, um, the place, the place for lots of adoptions. So yeah, so we um, flew into Ostrakhan and they took us to the orphanage and we got to meet the kids. So what was it like meeting Sarah for the first time? We, uh, were, we were sitting in the director's office. They bring her in, she's all dressed in like about five layers of sweaters and <laughs> just cute as a button. Mm-hmm. And yeah, just got to hold her and it's just hard to believe because it's just, that's the first time you see her and it's, she's yours, right? She's pretty much yours, you have to go through the whole court system but yeah but then you had to leave so what was it like then leaving her after that time that you met her well I had I had to leave her in the orphanage but I did not leave Ostrakhan so um she did not come to the hotel with us until she was until she was adopted um so yeah we had to leave in the orphanage we did actually the first day the kids we loaded the kids in the a van with us with and we had to go um get their visas and their their visa and passport picture. So as little babies, they were loaded in the van with us and we drove to someplace in Milvostrakhan <laughs> to get a visa <laughs> passport pictures. And you know, in my mind, I realized that might've been the first time in Sarah's whole life that she was ever even outdoors. You know, yeah. I don't I don't know if she was ever outdoors. Um, so March in Russia was still, it was actually a nice week, but um, yeah, so. Still chilly. Still chilly, still chilly. And then we, um, so like the next day we went to court, Sarah did not go to court with me. It was just uh, myself with the judge and the interpreter and a social worker. And then we got to, let's see, then we got to go back and pick her up and fly back to Moscow. Oh my gosh. Was it just yeah. so exciting to have her finally in? Very exciting. We had one free day in Moscow and um, Moscow and we got to we put her in a little stroller that was at the hotel and we walked through the streets of Moscow up to Red Square so we could get our picture and see the sights and, and, um, and yeah, that was special. That's cool. Do you still have that picture? I oh do. my gosh. I wish it was, um, it was in the olden days when there wasn't cell phones right. and we couldn't zoom and you couldn't look at the picture 500 times and retake. <laughs> so, so it's really small. To me, like if I did it now, all the things you would do different mm-hmm. taking a photo. But I do have on my refrigerator every day. Just looking at the St. Basil's Cathedral in the little red square with holding her. Oh, oh I'd love to see that. So you get home and um, how did it feel to bring her home? Do you remember the flight home? The flight home was full of lots of babies coming back. Like I said, <laughs> at that time Russia was, was a, a popular country to adopt from and Delta Airlines had a, um, a flight. They pretty much called the baby flight. Um, anybody could fly on it, but that was the flight that a lot of families flew out of Russia with babies. So 
with age, you forget bad things. I don't remember how terrible (laughs) right? But you're just happy to be holding this this child. Mm -hmm. And um, I do remember landing on American soil and that was like the biggest relief. So I didn't didn't realize, you know, how tense you are just, but you just don't feel safe until you're back on American soil with your child. And she had to go through, she had to go through um, naturalization process and citizenship process. And um, we did all that after a month or so in Omaha and they had a big ceremony for all these adopted kids. And that was kind of, that was cool. Just it's basically going through the process and, and filling the paperwork and everything. So then you brought her home. Do you remember the first night at home? She just fit right into my life. You know, she, she was 13 months when I adopted her and was just starting to talk, just starting to walk, um, all those fun things. And she didn't have, I don't remember if she had, I don't think she had any language when she came. It was like no Russian. And then she started speaking English, like, almost immediately within the first few months, her vocabulary just started growing. And yeah, she, she learned to talk pretty quick too. How did you find your groove in parenting at first? It's always trial and error, but. Um, I had, I had a lot of support from my parents, my mom, my mom helped me a lot. Um, yeah. And then I was off. That's, I was, I work, like I said, for school, school, hours. So um, I had to go back to work just for a couple of weeks in May. And then I was off all summer. So that was nice, more bonding time during that. And then, um, yeah, I had her go to daycare. That was just kind of the groove, work and daycare and learning about how to be a mom. Yeah. And snuggles. And And baby snuggles. Oh my gosh. (laughs) And you get so many baby snuggles now with her son. Yes. Baby snuggles are the best. Yes. That's awesome. Okay. So then you are living your life. You and Sarah are like killing it with being mom and daughter duo. What happened next? Well, during Sarah's preschool years or yeah, toddler preschool years, I had a couple of single other single women reach out to me inquiring about adoption. So during that time, I did meet with them and, and talk about the process. And they actually did adopt some kids from Russia too. And with one of these moms, um, while I was helping her, I just, I just got the itch. I'm like, I really think I should, I should be going, you know, when she, as she was in the process of getting over there, I'm like, I really feel like I, that should be me. I want to be over there doing this again. Um, I felt Sarah needed a sibling. I knew that she was going to be fine in life. You know, I already, I knew that I just knew from her personality, things were going to be okay with her. And um, I wanted her to have a sibling. I didn't want her to grow up by herself. I didn't want if something happened to me, her to be an orphan again. You know, I, I, I wanted to make sure she had a connection with somebody else too. So those are all things that I started thinking about. And um, it really wasn't something I thought about when I adopted Sarah that, oh, I'm going to make sure I have two kids. I, I just wanted to have one and make sure I could do it. But once, once I realized I could, and I was helping others, I'm like, I, I need to do this again. Yeah. And those are things, I mean, you talked about how you didn't want for her to be fostered or adopted again, you know, feeling orphaned again. Those are things that, I mean, had you thought about those things prior to adopting her? No, no, I hadn't. So yeah, that's crazy. I don't know why I started thinking, I, you know, first, I think everyone, if they can, I think siblings are very important, but I started realizing, gosh, if you don't have a sibling and you don't have two parents, what would happen if something happened to me? Yeah. All of those. Yeah. Mom, mom 
mom worry, mom concern. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Okay. So you had decided, yeah, I'm going to do it. So let's hear what happened next. I started filling the paperwork work on again. I knew I wanted to go back to the same agency. They were still open and still doing adoptions. And in my mind, I'm like, boy, the timing for Sarah's adoption worked out great. You know, I, so I, I had the paperwork all ready to go. I didn't turn it in until early December. Um, and then like within a week, I had a referral from a, for a six month old baby within a week, I was like, oh my gosh, this is really fast. So um, I had a little medical report. I had pictures. They had done away with allowing videos being sent to the United States at that time. Um, So we had two pictures, had a one page medical report. Basically it tells you, you know, your child's date of birth and a mom's name and weight and APGAR scores, the basic stuff. So um, accepted that referral. And they said, great, you're going to be going to Russia the first week of January. (laughs) Holy cow. (laughs) So now now it was a a two-trip adventure. They um, had changed laws again, and they wanted families to come over and meet the kids, agree that that's the child they wanted, and then come back at a later date for the court so it was it was gonna be divided into two trips do you feel like they did that intentionally to make certain that parents were serious about the adoption yeah I think they're like I said there have been a lot of adoptions coming out of Russia during this time and I I know there were some bad some bad um, situations that had occurred in the United States with some kids that had been adopted from Russia so they were sure they're doing it they could protect their kids right yeah like you would Sure. Okay. So then you have two trips. I have two trips. And um, so we're getting all ready to go because we had very little time to do anything. <laughs> right. but to breathe. No on. time to breathe. Just um, go. Just breathe. go. I'm going to have a child here now in about four weeks. <laughs> so um, so my mom was going to go with me. Sarah was going to stay in, in Otomo with my dad. And um, about two weeks before I was ready to leave, my mom broke her foot. She thought she, she could still go, but I thought that would just be a challenge being on an airplane to um, do all that. So my niece was home from college and I knew she had gone to Spain the summer before. So I knew she had a passport. So I just asked her, you know, all college kids are free, like for four months, you know, in the middle of winter. So I said, you like to go to Russia for a week with me in early January. So she went with me. So I had a traveling partner, someone to go with. Um, and it was a very quick trip. We, I think it was almost five days, enough just to fly over get to the orphanage and fly back. It was like, there was no extra time. We, did you meet, flew out. did you, did you meet her there then on the first trip? We met Anne on the first okay. trip. Yes. We went, um, we lost Melissa and I, my niece, we lost our baggage. We were, we were in this Moscow airport late, late at night without any luggage. We, um, but the, but the agency was great. They waited for us outside and they got us to the hotel without our luggage. We then the next morning flew, no, I'm sorry. The next morning we drove. So Anna was not, was four hours north, north of Moscow in a town called Yaroslav. Um, but it was, we, we drove in a, a van for four hours in the middle of January traveling north in Russia. <laughs> and again, there were two couples from the United States with us at that time that were going to the same orphanage. 
So you got to the orphanage. How was it when you saw Anna for the first time? So they put each of us in our own separate rooms to spend like half hour, 45 minutes or so with our child. Like I said, we didn't have anything with us. We had no toys or clothes to change her into or anything. So we were just in a little medical office or something. That was the room they stuck us in trying to entertain us. seven-month-old child. Mm -hmm. It was fine. That's kind of the interaction we're getting, trying to figure out what we're doing and what we know of her. And yeah, there we go. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. So then you, so then you walk out and you're ready to go. Yes. So we go, so we all go to the director's office and she just point blank says, you know, will you, are you accepting this child? And like, yes. So we all said, yes, we were accepting the child that that we came to see and um, went back to our hotel. And then that night, the next morning, one of the couples told us that they had changed their mind and they were not accepting the, the child that they had just met. That was shocking to me. I, I wasn't prepared for anything like that to happen. And I was very, very sad for them. And um, I just realized that they weren't ready for the whole process because in my mind, when I saw their child, you know, she, she would have been a great child for their family. And I just think though, as a couple, they weren't ready, but that, that shocked me. It surprised me. And I, then I started putting doubts into my brain about the whole thing. Like, what am I doing here? I have a healthy child at home and maybe I don't need to disrupt my whole life with this, this, what I'm trying to do. Did you, did it break your heart? I feel like, I mean, as you said that. Yeah, it broke my heart. It broke my heart. Yeah, because then that family had to go with us to get the visas and all that stuff, you know, just ride along in the van while we were, had our, our, our kids with us for little bits and times, but it was hard. It was, it was hard those few days with that. Yes. So you go home and while you're at home, are you still kind of replaying that scenario in your head and still having those second doubts? So when I, um, actually on the airplane ride home, I, it was rough for me. I, I had, I was getting lots of doubts. I, I had tears on the way home. I wasn't sure I was doing the right thing. When I, something, something, it's like a knot in my stomach the whole time. I'm like, ah, oh, what, what am I really doing? I obviously told my mom that I didn't talk to other people about it. And then she's like, well, Susan, that's, that's why they, you know, you aren't committed to it. You haven't gone through the, you haven't gone through the adoption yet. So you're, you're safe. If you could tell the agency, this isn't, for you. And I'm like, no, I, I knew I couldn't do that. I mean, this, this was the child's chosen for me, but something, something was just didn't feel right at that time. Something was kind of eating at you. So something was, yeah. So, but I was, but I was, had no doubt I was going to adopt her. I wasn't going to say, I, I couldn't do that. I could have never done that. So um, we had taken pictures. I had taken pictures with my camera, probably snuck a few pictures because I they didn't really like a lot of pictures. Um, again, no phone. So we really didn't know what the pictures look like. Um, I remember going to Walgreens that afternoon to pick them up and, and I looked at them and I ripped them up at that point because that was the child that gave me the knot in my stomach because something wasn't quite right for me. Um, she had this little bonnet and her face was like all sunken and her eyes were all dark and I just didn't want to see that for some reason. So I just, so I ripped it up and then at that point, I, I made up my mind, we know we're going to go back and it's going to be fine. And, and it was okay. But that first few days was, was tough. Those pictures would have been a reminder of that heartbreak for that family probably. And yeah. all yeah. of that doubt. And it, and it was just like, 
those pictures would have been what was gnawing away at me. Something was gnawing away at me. And I didn't want to have that in my mind. Yeah. Yeah. Because it's, yeah, it's during that time. It took place in that time that you met your child, whatever it was. And and looking at that would have brought back whatever was, was causing me hesitation in this whole, so it was fine. Once I, once I got rid of those and um, we made plans, we went back three weeks later to get her. And um, a friend of mine from college went with me this time. She's also a speech pathologist and a mom. So that made it much easier. And um, we, same thing, took our four hour van ride through the winter <laughs> of Northern Russia and all those adventures. And um, went to the orphanage, dressed her. Uh-huh. And she was, she was mine. It was like, from that point on, it was, there's no doubt it was, it was fine. And she was my child and yeah, I didn't have any of that. And you had your luggage at that time. I had my <laughs> luggage. It was so much better. It's a better trip. It's a better trip. Better all around. All right, better trip. Yeah. But that would have been, I guess when wrenches are thrown into things, even just something, it seems like it's a small thing. Like my, my luggage isn't here, but it really does kind of snowball and it can really mess up your, your psyche a little bit, I think especially when you're doing yeah. something big, like taking a baby home. Yeah. Yeah. And you, and when you hear someone else say they, they decided this child wasn't for them, you realize, gosh, that's a huge, that's a huge decision. And then that started putting doubts in my mind. So yeah, I think that's what really put doubts in my mind. Well, I'm thinking about how you had said just a little bit ago about how, when you looked at that child that was chosen for them, you knew that that child would have been a beautiful addition to their family. And you had already experienced that. Mm -hmm. Right. If I hadn't experienced that, if this was my first trip over, I, I don't know how everything would have turned out to be honest, but I knew I had experienced a whole very positive. um, I had, I had a positive experience for sure. And that helped me get through the second one. Definitely without, with fewer issues. Yeah. Yeah. That's fascinating. I'm, I'm intrigued. So then you have your Sarah and your Anna and you bring her home. How did, how did the bond between them go at first? How was it when they, when you introduced them to each other? I think like any five-year-old girl, I mean, she was, Sarah was interested, you know, we want to hold her and, but there was quite an age difference. And so yeah, they just, it just mothering, I guess, just came easy. It was uh, the kids were at their own developmental stages of doing things. So I never had, I, I just had a wide range of, of skills, a five-year-old and a, and a young child. She was always helpful and interested. How was the first couple months with both of the girls? Things seemed to be going fairly, very well. I mean, just anything, what I would expect as a mom. Um, and then... Then a coworker of mine asked if I had gotten Anna's hearing checked just casually. And I'm like, uh, no, I guess I hadn't. You know, I knew she passed hearing in the orphanage. At least they said she did. So, um, and she was very vocal and, you know, interactive with us. So I didn't think anything of it. So um, I took her to the AEA to have her hearing screened and found out that she had a profound hearing loss. And um, so something had to be done very fast or I thought fast, something had to be done to help her with her hearing. It was a shock because 
like I said, I, I, I wasn't suspecting a hearing loss at all. And um, the medical report came back fine. And I know, you know, we can't trust, obviously you can't trust. I don't think she, I think she was born deaf. Um, so I don't think the medical report was accurate that came out of the orphanage. But um, how old was she when you brought her home? She, Anna was 13 months when I brought her home. Okay. So she was about, no, I'm sorry. That was, I'm sorry. My age is showing. Sarah was okay. 13 months when I brought her home. Okay. Anna was eight months old when I brought okay. her home. Yeah. So she was about 10 months old when I discovered she couldn't hear. So um, I made an appointment for Iowa City um, at the University of Iowa because I knew that they were leaders in cochlear implant, pediatric cochlear implants. And I knew that that's what I wanted to have for Anna. Um, just in my profession, I knew the pros of it. I wasn't, I wasn't worried at all about her having a cochlear implant. I wanted to have it as soon as possible. But um, by laws, by FDA laws, she had to wear a hearing aid for almost a year to see if it would help her, help her or not. So she did have hearing aids um, about age 12 months. She had hearing aids. And then um, at about 22 months, she had her first cochlear implant surgery. She left the hearing aids alone then at that young age. She did. That was a miracle. I, I did not expect that at all. <laughs> I thought here's a, I have this baby. I'm going to be fighting with her to keep her hearing aids on her. And I didn't know how that would work, how anyone does that. But um, I, it, it helped her. She knew. She, I mean, obviously it helped her. She started hearing and she never once fussed with taking her hearing aids off as a 13 month, 12 month old child. She was, she was fine wearing them. And, but that's crazy that she was speaking or she was, you know, babbling and talking and very vocal. She was making noises. Yeah. That's what I thought. I mean, she was making noises. Um, and she wasn't expected to be talking yet at age eight months, you know, 10 months. So, um, she wasn't delayed at that time with her communication. So, so from that point on, we um, we had a child with a disability, a child with a, a hearing loss. We learned everything we could. Um, I, I learned what I could about sign language because in my mind, I'm like, my child may never speak, and and I will be will only be communicating through sign language. Um, but pretty quickly, she started talking. I mean, it was slow, slow rate, but she was talking. We never looked back. We never really focused on sign language. It was there if we needed it, but we didn't, we never needed it. And to this day, she knows almost no sign language. That's it. I try to wake up in the morning and try to <laughs> wake up to get up. <laughs> the basic gesture sign language is what she knows, but she does not communicate with sign language. She, she hears um, great when her implant is on and um and yeah it was she was a su successful cochlear implant user That's awesome and yeah. crazy yeah. all of those things all of those things leading up to it kind of yeah, yeah it kind of gives you it, well it does get gives me chills still thinking about like what are the odds that god would place her in a you know in a home that has a speech pathologist as a mom and we live this close to university of Iowa hospitals and, and have her implanted. I mean, there's a definite, definite plan. in that. Yeah. Way. It's all very divine. It sounds like all very divine. Yeah. yeah. I think so too. Absolutely. Can you talk about the differences between them as far as their personalities and how, you know, how they grew? That's, that's one of my biggest challenges with parenting um, was as my girl's age and 
personality differences. Sarah, Sarah is very organized. She's a people pleaser. She's a rule follower. Um, and Anna is just more free spirited and just gets pretty hyper-focused and persistent on things. Um, yeah, and she, she'll advocate, it's nice to see him growing up. I mean, she'll advocate for, Anna will advocate for herself. She has a wide range of friends and, and Sarah is, likes to build close relationships with people. Anna likes to have, have a larger group of people she's um, friends with. So just lots of differences in that. And Anna's not quite as much of a people pleaser. Like I said, she kind of wants to do what she wants to do. So that's, that's that. It's gotta be the second kid. I'm that way too. Just let me, let me fly. Yeah. 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 One thing I found out and um, the orphanage and I, as I think about Anna's personality, I didn't find the orphanage, I'm sorry, in the hotel in Russia when a, there was a US doctor that came to meet us um, to pass one of the tests we had to, she had to do. Um, he saw Anna's name and he said, is she gypsy? And I'm like, I don't, I don't know what that even means, but no one's told me. And he said, well, I think from the last name of, must've been the father's last name he saw that, um, I think she might be a gypsy, which is an ethnic group. Um, and as I think of gypsies, I think of Anna because I do think she has some of that personality of that free spirit. And so I think it's kind of interesting when I go back and think through that discussion with him. And um, it's kind of fun to think that's what her basis is her, um, the nature part of her. Right, because she and Sarah are having, I mean, they have the same upbringing but their biology is different. And so, right. yeah, that's fascinating. Yeah. yeah. And so yeah. cool. What an opportunity and a gift it is that you have them both. That I have them both with different personalities. Yeah. So, <laughs> different. And, you know, like to have that and kind of witness their, how, you know, their similarities and, but also how, how, they grow. Yeah. how vastly different they are and how special each of them, each of they are. are. Yeah. 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 Right. yeah. yeah. Yep, they're yep, they're each very unique, and we learn from we all learn from each other. Yeah. yeah, that's awesome. So, as a single mom, can you describe some of the perks of parenting? Perks of parenting? Well, just getting to enjoy everything your kids do. I mean, I loved putting, getting my kids involved in activities and finding what their interests were. And as Sarah says, I was the go-to person. I mean, there's nobody you're 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 competing with, with, for attention, you're the, you're the person. Yeah. I, I pretty much focused everything I did around whatever my girls were doing. I would try to be present at everything they did. So, and I still try to be present at everything they do. If they need something, I, I feel that's my job. That's my job as a, as a parent to do that. Yeah. Yeah. What a crazy, what a crazy, awesome bond you guys must have. Yeah. I, 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 I think we all look, we all look out for each other. Um, obviously there's times of conflict like any family or any kids but <laughs> overall we look out for each other and um yeah we're we're definitely a team for each other you talked a little bit ago about the activities and all of that work and relationships when it came to parenting like did, did you find it difficult to balance those things i i personally didn't you know i'm a pretty private person and i i don't view myself as a real social person so i didn't feel like i had to go out and and be social. Yeah. I just felt like I said that my, um, my kids were my life and they are my life. And what they were doing is that's who I connected with at that time, whoever, 
whoever parent group was there at that time was who I was, who I hung out with. Yeah. How was your decision to adopt received by those closest to you? Everyone in my family was very supportive. Yeah, they, they've been very supportive the whole time. And um, they're there if I need help, but they, they aren't strangling me with advice or anything, you know, they're, but they're definitely there if I need help. And there are times without having a father that things can get hairy. And I'm like, I can't do this by myself. And um, I reach out for support from different family and, and they're there. But um, like I said, they aren't around at all times helping me. They're just there when I ask for help. Yeah. Susan, then what are your favorite things that you did with the girls as they grew up? We spent lots of time going to cousins, cousins ball games and, and just being around family like that. Um, I say a lot of our time was that when kids were growing up, spending lots of time with, with cousins. In our home, we enjoyed like listening to, I like uh, connecting with my kids through music. And so through the years, you know, going to concerts with them and that sort of thing. We like to travel, you know, even as young kids, we traveled as, as a large family. And now as they're older, they're lots of fun to travel with as adult kids. And um, that's been a real treat to, it brings us all together a lot when we travel and all learn about different countries and cultures and, and things as we're doing that. So that's been a highlight, all our trips and traveling with my kids. I do remember my very first trip of, of traveling with Sarah by myself. And that was probably one of the biggest yay moments I could, I realized I could do by myself. I could take a child by myself without my parents or any other adult, and we could go take a trip together. And, um, and that was fun. And she was probably four, four years old, you know, she, she was older, but it wasn't like I was dependent on anybody to help me through that. Can I ask where you went? went to Disney world. That's a big deal. Yeah. That's so cool. Yeah. We had been to, I, she'd been to Disney World before. She, she was a spoiled little firstborn. So she'd been to it before and I'd been to it multiple times. So it wasn't like my first time of ever experiencing it, but it was the first time alone. So that's cool. And really empowering. I'm thinking about that. I would be so scared. But once you did it, you were like, yeah. And that's a theme that I'm like, that I'm, that I'm hearing recur from our conversation. It's like, yeah, I wanted to do it. And then I did it and I was able to do it and I did it. And it wasn't yeah. as, it wasn't that bad. It was fun. And it made you feel better when she got done. You realized you could handle it. Yeah. Susan, can we talk about when the girls found out that they were adopted? How did that conversation go? Yeah. So I was never going to keep it a secret from them, obviously, but I wasn't, I was thinking like maybe early elementary school or so the conversation might come around. But um, when Sarah was three or four, she started asking questions right away. And I felt like they were, I felt they were deeper than I thought they were going to be at this age. But um, pretty much she, the first question was, she just wanted to know why she didn't have a dad. And so then that led to the adoption discussion very easily, very, very easily. And she, she was fine with it. She just wanted to know why she never did. And um, and then through the years, more and more questions. When, whenever they're presented, you just naturally, I just naturally answered them when the time came. Um, that's when they're ready to hear the, the answers for whatever their questions were at that time. Now, Sarah, I had read, I'd read her book called I Love You Like Crazy Cakes. And it was written by a mom who adopted um, internationally, a single mom. And so it was that story. So she had heard that story, but not knowing it was part of her story too. And so that made it, I think that made the conversation much, very easy to, to explain. So even to this, 
today, new questions always come up. You know, they want to see what their passport looked like, or they want to see what information was written about them. So, you know, every now and then we pull out, pull out whatever there might be. Um, and we're, we're interested in going back to Russia. Obviously, we all like to travel, like I said, interested in going back to Russia whenever it's safe. We have found out that they can't, they are dual citizens in the eyes of the Russian government. So we would need to work out revoking their citizenship in Russia uh, before we travel over there. Yeah, that would be scary. So, but I said it's a very, poss a very strong possibility that we might, we might be able to do that sometime in the, in the future. Would you visit their birth cities? I think they would like to visit the birth cities and I am open to it. Um, they're a lot braver than I am about doing some things. I don't like being in a foreign country without having someone who can interpret for me. And I think I'd be comfortable in Moscow without that, but in the, these other towns that are not the main big area, I'm not sure I'd be comfortable without having an interpreter. I think there's so many kids my girls' ages that are, have been adopted from Russia during those years that we'll kind of just learn from everybody going over there and seeing what happens in the whole process. And yes, I think visiting their towns would be good for all of us. I'm thinking about all of the resources that we have currently. Have either of the girls tried to find like a, like a, a social group of, of, you know, young children who were adopted from Russia? No, neither of my girls focus on being adopted or, or really focus on being from Russia. Um, that's one thing I'm very proud of. You know, they don't complain about being raised by a single mom and they don't use it as an excuse and they, they just don't go out and talk about being from Russia because they think it's a cool thing. So no, they, neither one of them have gotten into that sort of. I feel like that's a testament to your parenting and how they're like, yeah, this is awesome. I mean, I'm, it's so cool that I am originally from Russia, but it's way awesome that my mom is a kick butt mom and did all of these things for us and loves us so dearly, you know? Well, that's nice to say. Oh, well, I think um, so. Yeah. I, really, truly, you know, I just feel like it's just natural. I don't think they feel like it's any, they're any different. Right. Right. So they are different because they're adopted and they're from Russia and I have a single mom, but I don't think they view themselves as any different. So, yeah. 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 I mean, we've kind of talked, we've talked about all of these things and international adoption and all of that process, but what have you learned about yourself through this entire process? Well, obviously I've learned I'm braver than I thought I was to do do risk taking things because I don't I just I still don't consider myself a risk taker but I know to many people what I just did was a risk big huge giant risk and it is a giant was a giant risk but um I never felt uneasy about the idea of being a parent by myself so um there was just peace in that all all along um I realized I can be more spontaneous so you kind of have to be a little more spontaneous when you raise kids than what you can't really have everything planned out I like to be private, but I've learned that I become a lot more open as I've had kids. They don't have filters. And so your, your whole life is in front of everybody before you know it. So there's no privacy anyway as a mom. I think, any, I, I think a lot of moms are like that. Um, and I just become a, an advocate for my kids. If they need something, I, I'm out there sticking up for them. So 
I never viewed myself as a person who do that. I'm kind of like, stand back, let people take, it'll, it'll be fine. It'll all work out. It'll all work out. But um, yeah, that's, that's how I changed for sure. What advice or encouragement would you have for those who might be single, but wishing to make a family of their own? I'd say, just remember, there's many, many, many different types of families. Um, a family is just a place, I think, that just be a loving, safe place to grow up. And doesn't matter if you have are married or if you have other family to help you or if you're a certain age, just it's just a place to make a child feel loved. So yeah, doesn't doesn't matter if you fit all the criteria, but people view as a normal family. You know, yes, I think every child should have the opportunity to grow up in a two-parent home. I think that's the perfect situation, but I don't think it's the only situation that kids have to have that to grow up and be happy. And um, I just think as a single person, you need to trust that it's okay. It's it's okay if they just grow up with just you. Yeah. Yeah. Safe, loving environment. Mm -hmm. Yep. What advice then would you give to those who are those support people of those who might be wishing to adopt and are single? So like your parents or your friends. If they come to you for, for advice, just support whatever their decisions are. And, and like I said, support the idea that there are all types of families and, and be there for them. And when they, when they want help, be there for them. And, um, help, help in little ways, little, little things like, but I, people do that for, I, I feel like all parents, um, but yeah, be there to help them if they need their lawn mode or be there to help them if they need groceries or they need to run a child to ball practice because another child's at panel lessons or something, just help any way you can to, to help out in those types of situations. That's when I think things are stressful when kids are young and you can't be so many places at one time. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I love that your family was so supportive of the desire of your heart to be a mom. I think that is just beautiful. And I'm thinking about people that might be listening who don't necessarily have that support coming from their families. Uh, Because like you said, it is a risky thing, you know, I mean, doing it internationally and, you know, being single, but I, I love, I love so much that you have that support system. And that you had the, the foresight to know that, well, if I'm going to do this, I do need to be by my support people. So identifying who those real support people are and then going yeah. for it. And, and as a single person, you need to follow your heart. You need to build your tribe, figure out who's, who's going to be there to help you because it does take a village to raise any kids. And especially if you're a, a single parent, you, it doesn't, it's okay. It's okay. If you don't know it all, it's okay. If you need help, there are lots of there are lots of good people out there to help you. Absolutely. Oh, Susan, thank you so much for sharing your wisdom and your insight on this just crazy, awesome topic. I'm so glad that you agreed to share. Thank you so much. Thank you, Cammie. Yeah. It was fun. Yeah. All right. Well, you guys, this has been Susan Wietrich. We will catch you next time on the B podcast. Thank you so much for tuning in to this week's episode of the B podcast. Make certain to subscribe, rate, and leave us a review. Screenshot this episode and share to your social media to bring awareness to this project. Share and join our community on Facebook. Thanks again for listening, and I'll catch you next time for more inspiring stories told by real women. Wishing you peace and love. I'm Cami Milliken, and this has been The Bee Podcast.